He is a Denver native born of Denver natives. A former Denver chief deputy district attorney, he is now an active Colorado trial lawyer. Bright, independent, and full of fun, he has been part of the media for decades. This is The Craig Silverman Show. What a world, what a life, what a day. Saturday, January 21, 2023. We have a fabulous show because Denver mayoral candidate Kelly Brough, she brought a lot of energy. She has a good chance to be Denver's next mayor. And I'm proud to have all the major candidates be on my podcast. I'm most proud of my association with our troubadour, Dave Gunders. Sadly, Dave's puppy, 14 years old, Black Lab Riley Gunders passed away earlier this week. On our YouTube page, we have a tribute to the life of Riley. We have a great conversation featuring David's song, Just Try Me. Kelly Bruff is trying to be Denver mayor, and she is impressive. So here is the order of the show. We start with David Gunders and discussion about losing Riley. It's a celebration of the life of Riley Gunders, though. Good long life, lots of laughs. And then we talk about the permitting process because Dave Gunders is really a great home renovator, and he does work in Denver. And we bring up the permitting process with Kelly Brupp toward the end of her interview. At the start, you get to know Kelly, and we are going to play the YouTube uh, feature that the Kelly Brook for Mayor campaign put out. You will hear us talk about it, and I want you to evaluate whether Kelly Brook could be a great mayor of Denver. As discussed with her, I put the question to OpenAI, and it's amazing what technology can do these days. Being mayor of Denver in 2023 is not like even four years ago. Nothing is. Chat GPT and open AI, they change everything. And I'm able to talk about that and all the great issues of the day with Kelly Brupp. It's a great interview. So is my interview with our troubadour, Dave Gunders. Enjoy his song, Just Try Me. Listen to Kelly Bruff's introductory YouTube. It's different. It's interesting, as is my interview with her. Please enjoy this special episode. It's hot in here. Did that toaster catch on fire? It wasn't that. You choked on that bite of burnt bagel. Why is everything all red? The heat is unbearable. Where am I? Excuse me, your dishonor. May I step in on behalf of my client? Mr. Silverman, proceed. Tell me one redeeming good thing your client did. He was a faithful listener to my radio show. Not good enough. He had decency and compassion for his family. He did end-of-life planning with Michael Bailey. The Michael Bailey? That is kind to your loved ones. That is smart and way 
way too decent for this place. Your client can go. And what about me, your despicableness? Why should I? Michael Bailey is my lawyer, too. Go on, then. Get out of here. <laughs> now, part of that was serious, and part of that was fictional. But you will die someday, and if you don't make a legal plan, the government will make one for you. Call my lawyer, Michael Bailey. His rates are reasonable, and he can meet with you and your spouse wherever you want and on weekends and evenings. 720-394-6887 or online at mblawllc.com. Now back to the Fred Silverman Show. Hey, being a lawyer is a matter of judgment. You have to know the law, the facts, but good judgment is essential. If you don't understand how Donald Trump is culpable for the crimes committed in his name, then I question your judgment. I have the good judgment to question Donald Trump. If you want a lawyer like that, instead of a knucklehead who believes in the MAGA propaganda, call Craig. 303-734-7156. 303-734-7156. I am Craig. Craig Silverman. A voice for victims. Riding my bike has always been my happy place. I get a little exercise, but mostly I get time to think. When I ride through the city, I see the challenges we face. But I also see the promise. I see so much in our city that reminds me of my own life story. And like a lot of families, my story started tough. My father was murdered before I was one, leaving my mom with two little kids to raise while dealing with the trauma of violent crime. My mom eventually remarried to the man who's my dad today. He adopted me when I was nine. It was about the same time my third grade teacher figured out I'd been faking reading. Turns out I have dyslexia, and I was lucky she caught it. She took me aside, spent the time, and taught me to read. That single act by a teacher changed the course of my life. I get my work ethic from my dad. He was a laborer and a welder in the oil fields. But when I was in junior high, he was injured on the job. We ended up needing public assistance to make ends meet while he couldn't work. We were on free and reduced lunch at school, and we used food stamps to buy our groceries. People judged if we were worthy of what we had in our grocery cart. That time was hard for my family. We felt shame. But the truth is, everybody gets help in their lives, some from their families, some from friends, but some of us need help from government from time to time. After he was injured, my dad had the courage to go back to college using his veterans benefits. It's one of the things I'm most proud of. So while he hit the books, I got my first job working at a Dairy Queen. I'd seen the power of education to change lives, and I knew I had to get to college if I wanted to change mine. I worked hard and saved enough money to pay for my undergrad at Montana State University. It was when I was in college that I married my high school sweetheart, Mike. Mike was Native American, and back then, mixed-race couples faced real challenges in rural Montana. So in 1986, we packed up and moved to Denver, where we could be ourselves. And Denver embraced us. We both got jobs, bought a home, we started businesses. We both went back to school and attended each other's graduations. We started a family. We even planted a tree to celebrate the birth of our second daughter. But sadly, Mike struggled with addiction his whole life. And if you've been through that, you know how hard it is to love and support someone but not enable the behaviors that are destroying them and your family. It's really hard. Ultimately, we lost Mike to suicide. 
And like my mom before me, I found myself the single mother of two young girls having suffered a tragic loss. Today, I think our entire community is struggling with these same issues. And I know my life experiences will guide me as we tackle these challenges together as a city. Over the years, I've gone on to have many roles and wear many hats. In 2003, I became the first woman to head the City of Denver's Personnel Department, and then went on to become Chief of Staff to Mayor John Hickenlooper. In 2009, I left the city to become the first woman to serve as President and CEO of the Denver Metro Chamber of Commerce, leading an organization with over 3,000 members. I then became the Chief Strategy Officer at MSU Denver. Today, my girls are grown, thriving, and starting their own adult lives. And now I'm running for mayor because I believe my life experiences help me understand the moment we're in as a city. And my experience as a small business owner, chief of staff and CEO means I know how to run large organizations, bring people together and get things done. I'm not a politician. I've never run for office before and I won't run for another. This is it. I am running for mayor because I believe in the promise of Denver. And if you still believe, if you still think our best days lie ahead, please join our cause. It's going to take all of us, and I would be honored to have your support. Michael, of course, is a great sponsor of my show, but more than that, he's my lawyer, my end-of-life planning lawyer, and I've got two dogs. What about you? I have two dogs right now as well. And not only do you love your dogs at home with your kids and your wife, but you get involved with dog issues in your law practice. Tell everybody about that. So I will write pet trusts, which is you can earmark money to take care of your pets. Um, you know, a lot of people, you know, they've got their dogs and you know, they love their dogs. But then if somebody were to, you know, if, you're, if you were to pass away, you know, who's going to take your dogs? Who would, who would love your dogs as much as you do? I don't know that anybody would love your dogs as much as you do. But like, I grew up with dogs. And so if I were to pass away, then my parents or my siblings could take the dogs. So when you set up a pet trust, you can dictate who's going to get those dogs and then who you can leave money to take care of the dogs as well. I like working with you and I think you are ahead of your time. You have 15 different locations. How cool is that? It's, it is nice to be able to go to all the different locations and you know meet people where it's comfortable and more convenient for them. And nobody wants to drive from one part of Metro Denver to the other to meet with a lawyer. You will come to them. Yep and I'll deal with traffic so you don't have to. Tell us how people can get in touch with you. My direct phone number is 720-394-6887, or they can go to my website, which is mobileestateplanning.com. And again, that's mobileestateplanning.com. And there's even a schedule, you know, there's a book an appointment link on, this, on the website. All right, Michael Bailey, thank you. Hey, Troubadour. How are you, Craig? I am saddened by the passing of Riley, great dog. He was the best, and I appreciate that. Riley Gundrich and I took a lot of walks together. Yeah, hundreds. I'd say so. I, uh, I know it's been a trying week for you. And uh, we've talked about Riley many times on the show, and everybody has that sort of experience, but... 
I observed a really tight bond between you and Riley. What was that all about? You told me the origin story. Tell everybody else. Well, I'll make it quick. But yeah, the origin story was that my wife um, had requested when when I took my girls to the Dumb Friends League to look at dogs. We knew we were going to come home with a dog. My wife requested uh, to get a, a middle-aged dog. She didn't want to go through the puppy training and everything, which I understood. So I, t- I told the girls what the rules would be. Meanwhile, we ended up with Riley. The lady at the Dumb Friends League said uh, she brings Riley in who's four months old and said, you're a dog family. This is a great dog, I can tell, and he's coming up for adoption in 20 minutes. So I'm on the phone with my wife saying, well, we found an amazing puppy. What do you think? So it was, uh, that was the beginning of our, of our relationship. What breed exactly was Riley? He's a black lab. Some people, I don't think he was quite pure, although he looked totally to me like a black lab. He was tall and, and a little kind of lanky, long legs and, and very athletic like labs are. He was a loyal dog. He went by your side everywhere. You took him to work with you? Yes, that was the amazing thing. And that's what got us so close. I mean, we, uh, from day one, um, you know, my wife worked at home. She goes, can you take the puppy with you? It's, he's going to be in, you know, in the way and bothering me and I need to work. And that was the beginning of a 14-year tradition of uh, him coming to work with me. 14 years. Yes. And at the end, how, how big was Riley? He's 80 pounds. 80 pounds. And was he athletic back in the day? Oh, he was amazing. I mean, you have you have two dogs that love to run and are great runners. And he he could he would be just like Skylar, just flying over hill and dale. Amazing. Yeah. But it was his old age that showed his determination. We thought he would never go. And he even when he had to walk like John Wayne, he did it, and you renamed him the Sidewinder. I think actually that was your name and uh which I liked. And I like your your uh, impersonation of, of John Wayne, the way he kind of lopes along. That's how my dog was uh, as he got older. Well, he had to swing his hips. <laughs> I'm glad you can laugh again because yeah. that's part of dog ownership. And tell everybody about this special song that uh, happened the last day of Riley's life. I have this Beatles book, and uh, it's, it's, it's called... Uh, Ultimate book of Beatles of the Beatles album by album, and it has it. it um, there's a there's there's a quick little vignette of each song, and you know how when it was recorded, and who wrote it primarily, and what you know how it was recorded. So it's 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 a great. It's put out by Rolling Stone. It's like a special one of those special um, books that they come up with once in a while, and. Um, this is part of, you know, we had talked about uh, superstition. I right. think last week you had asked me about that or the week before. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, sometimes I'm kind of superstitious. Well, the morning that Riley died, I, I had that book in my car and I said, I'm just going to flip that book open and wherever, and I'm going to put my eye on the first song that, com- that I see. And that's going to be the theme of today for Riley. Sure enough, I open it and I look the song it's mother, is Mother Nature's Son, which is perfect because I used to call, I called Riley the son. And right. I don't have a son, so he was my erstwhile son. And, and all your songs have a son in it, either S-O-N or more often S-U-N. Yes, yeah. So he anyway, was your everything. He it was, was your son, your son. It yes. was, he was. And it was poetic because he, you know, a dog is a Mother Nature creature. They're natural, yes. you know, they're creatures of nature. And so Mother's Nature's Son, and it's a beautiful song too. It's a it's a touching song. By McCartney. 
And then you told me to watch that McCartney 3 to 1 special yeah. on YouTube. And you actually did. That's yes, great. fantastic. Yeah, I'm glad you watched it. Yeah, yeah. I watched it. I, I, while, I, I mainly listened while I watched the ball game, but it was interesting. And yeah. how about those bangs on McCartney not that long ago? He looks good. And McCartney looked great. Yeah, he does. He does. He's with, with the producer, uh, Rick Rubin, who in, in himself, you know, in, in himself is an interesting story. And you had, you had seen the uh, 60 Minutes right. show, the episode there. Yeah, yeah, Rick Rubin's on every podcast now. He's selling a book or yeah. himself and... Yeah. God love him. Maybe Interesting I can man. get him on my show. I'd love that. Honestly, if he listens to your music, that would be your discovery. Well, <laughs> that would be that would be uh, that would be quite an opportunity to have someone like Rick Rubin hear it. Well, let me tell you what we did on our YouTube channel because everything's YouTube. McCartney three two one. We're putting together on the Craig Silverman Show YouTube channel. I like to promote Apple, and all we are is sound right now. But we have some pictures of Riley and the Troubadour, Dave Gunders, and we have it to the song Mother Nature's Son. So check it out on YouTube. I'll tweet on that, too. Thank you for doing that. that and is... it's for the life of Riley. I hope yeah. I'm spelling Riley's name right. R-I-L-E-Y. That's is it. that okay? Yeah, okay. that's it. That's the spelling. And thank you for that. What a pal. Well, you're the guy who had the perfect song yourself because we always play one of your original compositions. And I've... Had it on before, but I just thought this is a fantastic song because it has so many, it's not double meanings, it's like quadruple meanings. When you have a title called Just Try Me, and when I heard from you that Riley was dead, and I loved Riley too, but I knew it was going to hurt you bad, and it did. Tell everybody that night, okay, so... You have Mother Nature's son. Did Riley have a good last day, or how did it end? If it's not too personal. No, no. It was actually, it actually was a, in its way. It was ritualistic and beautiful. He, he. I mean, he was on his side on his bed, and he wasn't moving much anymore. Mm -hmm. He wasn't able to get up, so he had a hard night. But um, in the middle of the night, Lisa was checking on him, and between she and I, we were checking on him every hour or so. And he was not having a good time of it. I gave him a. Um, a sponge bath, basically. Because he had soiled himself. Yes, he had. It was. It was. It was not a pretty sight. And mm -hmm. I thought, you know, I'm going to clean him up, and I'm also going to get a towel, a warm towel, and wipe him down. You know, his whole body. Right. And which and I he did. Loved water. And and he loved that. And uh, he thumped his tail. And two hours later, I I I got up, and he was gone. He died in his sleep. Hmm. And then you told me you found a service that. Uh, Cremates your puppy, right? And you had to lift him up. I did have to lift him up. I don't eighty pounds from from the left. floor. <laughs> yeah. But I'm his father. I have to figure out stuff like that out, you know. And uh, I managed to get him up, and and we and we went to that place. And he's 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 been properly, what would you say? Passed on, right? And when yeah, they asked yeah, you if you yeah. wanted the ashes, I said no. Why is that? Because maybe it's maybe the, I think this is maybe some of, of of the Jewish tradition that I've learned, or maybe it's just me. But to me, the body when it's when it's left empty of soul and spirit is an empty vessel and not of any particular importance. Have you ever thought about how many words from "Just Try Me" apply to what you just talked about? No. I how does it start? Your beautiful song. How long? 
is a little more time. Right. And how many times did you say, I, I just, Riley just needs to keep going. Right? Right. I need a little more time with him, right? Yeah. How, how long can he last yeah. sidewinding like this? <laughs> yeah. He made a good go of it. Right. Yeah. And then you have that line in there, not too far in, it's late. Yeah. Like when you got up in the middle of the night. Yeah. And then to lift him up, taking all my might. Yeah, that's true. You're, uh-huh. reading, you're reading into it very poetically. Yeah, the sun gone down. Your sun went down, David Gunders. Wow. But the moon climbs high, which to me is my papa in the moon. So we always like to the stars. You have stars in there. It's a classic David Gunders song. It's fantastic. But before I let you go, I have a fantastic interview coming up with Kelly Bruff, and your name comes up because she wants to be mayor of Denver. And I said, Dave Gunders is a professional musician, but he really makes his money uh, with lookout renovation, right? Right, that's my company. And Denver's been killing you with the permitting process. Oh, I'm glad you mentioned that. (laughs) Talk to the people who are going to listen to this because toward the end of the interview with Kelly Bruff, I bring this up. And what is your beef, fella? Time involved. It's, it's the the whole permitting process has been dysfunctional here these last few years. I mean, it it started with COVID. I mean, uh, uh, you know, I think it's a combination, kind of a perfect storm of uh, Denver's growth, which was which was put a, put a lot of demand on the building department, and then COVID hit, and they couldn't. Uh, you know, there was no more personal sitting down with a plans reviewer. It all became um, you know electronic conveyance of of uh, permit applications, and uh, everything just slowed down. I had a uh, pop-top job where you pull the roof off a house and build uh, a new story and put a new house on. It took me nine months to get the permit. And that's a business killer. It's a bit, it killed, it killed my job because in those nine months, it came all the way to this last winter. They didn't want to do it in winter. And then they actually thought that they just don't want to do it anymore. Their life changed. She went back to grad school. They're thinking of moving. And so, yeah. Oh yeah. So it, it was, costs you money? It costs the city of Denver money? Yes, it does. Yeah. It, it's, it's awful. It's still slow. I mean, I went into the city of Denver today. Why, why aren't there plans reviewers at the, at the counter now? I, I had thought that it, it had opened up because a, a colleague of mine had told me he had been in. Well, you can go in and ask questions, but you cannot submit a permit, even a simple, something as simple as a bathroom renovation. You can't sit, sit down with your drawings and a plans reviewer at a, at a counter. He asks you questions, you answer them, bang, he stamps it, you have your permit. None of that. It all has to be submitted electronically and you're at their, you're at their, at their mercy in terms of when they get back what questions they might ask, and how long it'll take them to get back with you when you've answered it. Um, it's extremely frustrating, and I'm sure many contractors uh, would agree. Wow. You're going to love this interview with Kelly Bruff. And she pronounces it Bruff, B-R-O-U-G-H. Bruff like rough, which is perfect for Riley, our tribute to the life of Riley. And you know what kind of dog she has named Benji? What does she have? Black lab mix. Perfect. Nice. The best dogs. I think no Riley was the best. No offense to your doodles. No, that's all right. But, no offense taken. Okay. All right. You have to admit, I have really good dogs. They're great dogs. Riley was a great dog. Rest Riley in peace, Riley. A good spirit, a sweet soul. Rest in peace, Riley. Everybody yeah. enjoy this. Dave Gunders classic dedicated to the life of Riley Gunders. Just try me. Check out our YouTube page for the video tribute with lots of pictures 
of our troubadour, Dave Gunders, and his son, Riley. Thank you. Thanks, Craig.
Michael Bailey, a friend, a lawyer, a sponsor. Tell everybody how you bring peace of mind to their life. So by setting up your estate plan, you know what's going to happen to your stuff when you die. You know where it's going to go, you know who's going to get it. We've got everything in place so we're not running to a court to try to get guardianship and conservatorship as quickly as possible. But then it's an orderly proceeding of things. So, you know, there's already enough chaos with the medical emergency, but the legal part of it and who can make decisions is all outlined. It's all set up. So there's, it's like the the smooth transition of power. That's cool because you can avoid so many problems by having a medical power of attorney and discussing it with a smart guy like Michael Bailey, because who should have this? It's probably somebody close. Who do you trust most among your children to make that call? These are the hard and good questions that you ask every day, right, Michael? Right. And if you ask them beforehand, when you're not in the middle of a crisis, then when a crisis hits, we're not trying to do crisis management and medical emergency and everything else. We're going, okay, we've got a smooth transition of power here. We've got a smooth who's in charge, and we can have that all flow so that we can focus on the care. There are so many things in life that you can fill out a form and save yourself money, save yourself heartache. Some people die out of nowhere quickly, but more often you get sick, you have medical difficulties, so it all goes together. But your system works, it works beautifully. What is the best way to contact you these days? Best way, uh, you can give me a call. My phone number is 720-394-6887. And again, that's 720-394-6887. Or you can go online to michaelbaileylawllc.com. And there is a an appointment page on my website that you can use. So either way is fine. Thanks, Michael. I am delighted to have in studio Kelly Bruff. She has a major opportunity to be the next mayor of Denver. There are 25 people or so competing. I'm not going to have them on. There are no rules regarding my podcast. I am only going to invite those people who I think have a real good chance to win. And Kelly Bruff, you certainly do. Welcome Thanks for uh, coming to the studio. Thank you, Craig. And my dogs like you, which is always a good sign. (laughs) And I like your dogs. Are you a dog person? I am. I have Benji. He's a rescue. He's um, a lab and a great Dane. So 90 pounds of all love. What kind of lab? What color is this dog? He's black and white. He's mostly white with black spots. Oh, my goodness. Every week I have my troubadour. He'll be coming over after you. And he lost his black lab mix Mm. after about, I don't know, the dog lived to be about 18, maybe not that long because labs don't. But I've taken a million walks with Riley Mm. and David lost his beautiful black lab, his best buddy. Yeah, I've had a few labs. I love labs. Well, this show is going to be dedicated to black Labradors. And we all know with respect to dogs, you have to grieve the loss and then you have to move on. It's like anything in life. And who knows that better than Kelly Bruff? First of all, I bet a lot of people have a rough time with your last name. Yeah, they do. But you don't have to pronounce it correctly, Craig, to vote for me. (laughs) I know, but I think you should use it to your advantage. Kind of like Phil Weiser has used his name because... 
you could say, is it brow or is it bruff? And you pronounce it bruff. Yes, I do. Well, I like it rough. <laughs> and when you think about rough, you think rough and ready. What about bruff and Kelly? Yeah. I like yeah. it. Bruff and ready, bruff and Kelly. I like it. Are you ready to be mayor? I am ready to be mayor. Okay, let's find out about you. A deep dive. Where were you born? Where did you grow up? And uh, tell us about that, please. I was born in Shelby, Montana. It's a really small, 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 small town, um, about maybe 60 miles outside of Glacier National Park. That's probably the landmark most people know. I grew up in Havert, Montana, uh, about 120 miles east of Glacier National Park and maybe 30 miles from the Canadian border. It was cold. Um, my dad worked in oil and gas uh, on the pipelines. He was a welder. And uh, when I was in junior high, my father was injured and he couldn't do that work anymore. And he went back to school. I'm really proud of him. My family received assistance. Um, uh, I ultimately got myself to Montana State University. Uh, I saved $10,000 in high school, by the way, working at a Dairy Queen. That is a lot of cones, Craig. Holy cow. <laughs> you must work long, hard hours. And it's cold there, but people still want ice cream. They wanted ice cream, thank goodness. Um, so I went to Montana State University in Bozeman, Montana. Um, and that's where I graduated from. That's a beautiful spot. And it's the Rocky Mountains. Am I right? You are right. And it is beautiful. I have a son in Missoula where a bunch of mountain ranges converge, including the Rockies, but Bozeman's all Rocky Mountains. Growing up in Montana, did you think about Colorado? Was Denver a place that you realized, hey, maybe this is the big deal city in this part of the world? Yeah. So um, right before I graduated from college, I married the man I had met in high school and he was indigenous. Um, and so uh, both of our parents said, you know, you kids might be more successful, uh, not in rural Montana, but in terms of jobs and opportunity and a mixed race couple, get to a city. And my dad said he had gotten his welder certificate in Denver. And he said, I love Denver. You should get to Denver, Colorado. So we came to Denver in 1986. Nice. Coming right down I-25. It's a straight shot, pretty much. <laughs> and uh, what did you think when you got here? What did you find? Oh, my gosh. I'll tell you, uh, in 1986, you know, if you weren't in Denver, uh, there were real challenges. You know, we were in an oil and gas bust here downtown. A lot of people describe it looked then like it looks again today. Um, but my husband and I saw a lot of promise. Um, our first Thanksgiving here, the day after Thanksgiving, we went outside and used our barbecue grill. And we couldn't believe you could be outside cooking uh, in November. So for us, it was like the South. It was warm. Uh, we had access to great jobs we were able to get. We went back to school. We bought a home. We had kids. It, it was really a place of great promise for us. You had some kids. We did. We had two daughters. And what are their names if, if you're of providing those? Yeah, of course. Taylor and Mackenzie. How old are they now? 29 and 27. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, they're just beautiful young women. I'm just so proud of them. So I have my oldest in Montana, in Missoula, my youngest at CU Boulder. And uh, are your daughters still in Denver? No, I have one in San Diego right now and one in Austin, Texas. Oh, my goodness. That's yeah. a good spot. 
So um, I watch her YouTube. Yeah. And it's fascinating. I had my impression of you when you were chief of staff for John Hickenlooper. And uh, I've seen you in the media. Uh, we had a, a nice meal together for me to get to know you better. And I'm surprised by some of the things that I learned about you and that you are highlighting in your YouTube. First of all, I didn't know you were a bicyclist. Yeah. How, how long have you been doing that? Yeah. Uh, well, it, I, over 30 years, I've commuted on my bike to work. I don't do it on days like today where it's snowy right. and icy and cold, but... Um, I did it back in the day, honestly, to save money. Uh, so I saved money on gas and parking. Um, when you were chief of staff for John Hickenlooper, yeah. you would bike to the city and county building? I would. There's showers in the basement. Um, where did you park your bike? There? In my office. That's where uh -huh. I've always parked my bike. <laughs> yeah, you have one of those passes to get past the security. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I could get past security. Yes. <laughs> I love that building, by the way. Is that why you're running for mayor? Because to me, that's <laughs> the greatest building in all of Colorado. It is a beautiful building. And the third floor office of the mayor of Denver is magnificent. I've had the pleasure of being in there a time or two. It is beautiful. I agree. And yet that that building seems so underutilized. We'll, we'll get back to that in a minute, because that's where the courthouse was when I yeah. was growing up yeah. and all of that. But. That takes me back to 1986 when you arrived. Yeah. Crime was kind of going up then, sort of like we're experiencing right now. It was leading eventually to the summer of violence, but there was a new drug, crack cocaine, and people were getting violent on it. And we suddenly had a murder rate of over 100 killed. And uh, it's you brought up the economic challenges, downtown Denver, whatnot. Um, so, so continue with your story. I, I just on that YouTube, uh, I, I, everybody should watch it. Can we play it on my podcast? No, of course. Of of we'll course. put it on the YouTube channel as well, but you've experienced challenges. Yeah. One, your natural father was murdered before you ever even got a chance to know. Yeah, that's right. So your life's been touched by violent crime horribly. And then it was your stepfather, who you were very close to, who had those economic hardships. And then the love of your life, he had addictions and he committed suicide. That's on your YouTube. Why did you put that out there as, hey, that's the first way people get to know you? I mean, you're yeah. such an accomplished, beautiful, uh, wonderful spirit and person and nobody would know the troubles you've seen. Yeah, I, I guess because two reasons. One, I think the issues my family have faced are similar issues that many people in Denver face. Uh, and I think sometimes we hide them or tuck them away, maybe out of shame. Or um, And I just think we got to let that go. If we want the human spirit to be resilient, uh, I think you have to acknowledge what you've been through um, and ask for support and help to to navigate it. And frankly... I'm very proud of what my family has navigated in our lives and how hard life can be, uh, but also how strong we can be and how powerful community is when they help you deal with those issues. Yeah, that's the spirit of your YouTube. It got to me. You're riding around Denver, and I don't ride as fast as you, but I pedal <laughs> around. I'll show you my bike. And uh, your energy was obvious. 
even though you've had these setbacks, you put them right there on the table. And I think it is an incredible story. Save 10K working at a Dairy Queen in Montana. <laughs> get into Montana State. What did you study there? Yeah, so I originally was uh, an electrical engineering major. Uh, I did not graduate in that. Um, so I'm dyslexic. And what I always did well in in high school was math and science because it didn't require as much reading. And so I was on scholarship at MSU Denver studying electrical engineering. And uh, my junior year, I said, I don't really like calculus. <laughs> and my advisor, who was the dean of the engineering school, because I was the only woman in the program, uh, said, yeah, but you're really good at it. You almost have a 4.0. And I said, yeah, but I took this sociology criminal justice course, and I loved it. Uh -huh. So I switched degrees um, because I realized I was very interested in how people think and work, um, what, what drives us, and wanting to have an impact in that space. And maybe my childhood was a big influence on that. I suppose so, but it still seems kind of remarkable to me that somebody who has a degree from Montana State would accomplish what you've accomplished in Denver so far. Because one of the things that I think you are responsible for was a highlight of my life, that Democratic National Convention. Weren't you well, part of uh, running all of that? Yeah, I mean, there was a whole team. You could imagine my responsibility was really, I was chief of staff to then Mayor Hickenlooper, and it was supporting the team and the operations of the city through the Democratic National Convention. And I'll just say, uh, for people listening, that's a national security event, uh, and it's a big undertaking. And like you, I'm extremely proud of what the team pulled off on that. Oh, my goodness. The Rocky Mountain News was still alive, and they got a column from me every day, which was remarkable. And then I got to broadcast the uh, Mile High event, Obama's last yeah. his speech at the end of the convention. There I was doing it live. I thought, this is a cool job. I was in radio then. Um, when you got to Denver, what did you think of Denver Media? Did you form habits that are long-lasting? Yeah, I mean, I think um, this probably comes from my parents, but uh, we read both newspapers every single day, uh, watched the news. I, I, you know, I honestly, I worry about media today, right? Like, Yeah, you and me both. It's so critically important to keeping us informed. Um, you know, there's rules of the game in media and um, I worry about making sure that we're consuming information that's following those rules today. In the last uh, just concluded midterm race, Heidi Ganahl would not go on Channel 9. Hmm. Are you going to shut out any media or, I mean, before you shake your head and say <laughs> no, I mean, if Alex Jones yeah. asked you on his show or if... Uh, I, I don't know. Do you have any, yeah. if Steve Bannon says, hey, come on my show, Kelly Bruff? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I, I I don't have any reason to say no. Um, I, I actually think it's valuable. I've been on uh, media that people would say, oh, my, you know, that, right. that may have an agenda and mm -hmm. you might be in trouble. Uh, but listen, my story doesn't change <laughs> right. when you ask me a question. So, you know, I'm willing to share it with people. Um, 
So I'm not going to say no today. Nice. I'll reserve the right later, Craig, if there's some reason I should say no. <laughs> it seems to me that you have a spirit that you can affect change. And that might be in a broadcaster, too. Maybe they start off a little hostile to you, but you might be able to win them over. Yeah. Hey, listen, I, you know, was the head of the Denver Metro Chamber of Commerce. Uh, when I got that job, not everybody was thrilled to see me. I'm a Democrat, a woman. They thought I was young because I was 45 years old. I came out of the public sector. And I really, you know, I think I was shook a little by how negative people were willing to talk about me publicly who had never met me. And what I decided was best to do is to meet them and to let them get to know me. Uh, because what I find is it's much easier to diminish people when you don't fully know them or you only know one thing about them. And so I do subscribe to your theory that says, when you get to know me, you, you are going to love me. Like, my heart is good. Uh, I'm trying to do the right thing. Um, I'm committed to our city and to values that we all share. So, And I bet a lot of those business types were Republicans, yeah. more conservative than you. How did you do at that job? Fabulous. Um, I loved it. And what I loved the most was being able to take this range of views from small business to huge corporations, from far left to far right, from, you know, a, a, all the ideological ways that we might split in the world and be able to align priorities and really get stuff done. I loved it. That's great. I like somebody who likes challenges. This mayoral run it's just kind of at the starting gate yeah maybe you've felt it for a while i bet you have to get properly organized but are you ready for all of this <laughs> i i ran for denver da in 1996 and i thought i was ready and it was a yeah. pretty truncated race but a lot starts flying at you um are you ready for this i think i am uh i will say this um like you I'm a first-time candidate, long-time listener. Um, uh, you know, I've seen politics. I've been close to it. I have worked uh, for public officials both. I worked for all 13 members of council at one point in my career, and, and I've worked for John Higginlooper when he was mayor. But I've never run, and it is very different. And I, I do appreciate when people have run for office before, and m most of the people running for Denver mayor have, um, there's a lot of kind of foundational stuff they have in place that you got to get in place pretty quickly. And it, and it's, uh, it's a lot of work, like you got to hustle. Um, and, and so it's hard. Um, but you know what I love? Uh, I'm spending most of my time in people's living rooms, talking to them about what they care about and their neighbors when they, uh, invite them over. And I love it. I love talking to resident residents about what's affecting their lives and what we can do to fix it. And what about John Hickenlooper? How did you get to know him? Let me back up a little more. <laughs> okay. How did you get into city politics? Just so I can one-up you, because I'm a lot older. When I walked into the Denver DA's office, hired by Dale Tooley, he had already had aspirations being Denver mayor, and he can continued with that aspiration, and I backed him. And an upstart named Federico Pena came along. He's been a guest on the podcast Dale thought all he had to do was beat Mayor McNichols, and it turned out that Federico Pena took the job. Then 
Uh, Dale's successor, Norm Early, my boss, he had aspirations to be Denver mayor, so I got to watch that race, and I was a little older, and I participated a bit, and he lost Wellington Webb, who I've also had on my show, who was a dynamic Denver mayor, as was Mayor Pena. So now I'm up to the 80s, right? Yeah. Were you around for the early Webb race, or was that? Yes, yeah. Yes. I was working for the Denver City Council. So you back up. Tell us your start. You arrive in Denver, 1986. Yeah, yeah. And I worked um, as a at a residential treatment facility in Aurora. It was Excelsior Youth Center. Oh my gosh! So yeah. many girls went there. Yeah. I was in juvenile court as a prosecutor yeah. in the early 80s. Yeah. Lot, isn't that where what young women who get in trouble are supposed to get rehabilitated? Yes, it's closed now, but mm -hmm. then it was really um, the last stop before right. life got really bad. Mm -hmm. And and what I loved is um, you're reminded, I think we want to believe people who are in trouble in the criminal justice system are, are significantly different. They made way different choices. And what you realize is um, there's, there's a few choices that can change the course of your life. And um, these were young women who were getting a second shot at trying to straighten things out. It was a great experience for me. While I was going there, I got my MBA uh, because I realized that direct care work is really hard emotionally. And I thought maybe I should get to the business side of, you know, the kind of the uh, my social work and things like that. The city of Denver hired me then. Uh, to work in the HR department with my MBA. That was my first job. Nobody goes to government with an MBA, um, but it was wonderful for me. And I worked in the Career Service Authority, and my job was to build a performance evaluation system for city employees. And then the second thing I did is I evaluated jobs, and I did that for about a year. And Fred Timmerman was the head of the Career Service Authority. And he had been the staff director at the Denver City Council for the central staff previously. And he said to me, I think you'd be amazing as an analyst uh, for city council. And a position is open. And it was a significant increase in pay. Keep in mind, I think I was making a whopping $14,000 a year or something. <laughs> um, and I said, I don't think I'm qualified to do that. And he said, oh, you are qualified. You should apply. And I was hired on the central staff at city council. So this was back when Kathy Reynolds, Kathy Donahue. Um, Polly Flobeck. Yes, I worked for Polly Flobeck. I worked for, um, oh, my goodness, Hiawatha Davis. and uh, Bill Scheitler. Bill Scheitler was there. Yes, it was amazing experience. Um, and you work for this very different, 13 members, elected officials who you drafted bills conducted research, staffed their committees. It was a wonderful experience for me. I loved it. Let's just back up because you get to Denver. You have two little kids. You're working at Excelsior, which is stressful. You get an MBA at the same time. Where I didn't I didn't have kids yet. Oh, you didn't have kids no, yet? No, I didn't have kids all yet. All right. Yeah. So that's why you It was so it easy. I was just working and yes. going to school. Yeah. Anyway, you're a hard worker to get all of that done. So city council led to what? Yeah, so, uh, well, I have, to, you, I have to tell you part of another story. Please, and by the way, that's my <laughs> floor. Because the felony cases were being done on the fourth floor of the city and yes. county building. That's where city council chambers and their side offices. I bet we passed each other in the hall quite a bit. We did. I'm sure we did. Um, 
So when I worked, I wor- remember I worked in career service and then I went to city council. Mm-hmm. And when I was in career service authority, one of the things I did is I'd evaluate city employee jobs, Craig. So like, you know, I would look at what the duties were and then I would tell you what you were going to be paid. And I uh, once did it for an equipment operator in Denver who was hoping to be a heavy equipment operator, which pays more money. And I said to the man, sorry, you're an equipment operator, so you're going to be paid this amount, not that higher pay. And he wasn't very happy. And he said, you know, I don't even think you understand um, these jobs. And I said, you know, that's kind of fair. You know, I don't. I'll tell you what I'm going to do, though. The city has this program where it was like eight or 12 weeks, you took class two nights a week, and then you drove on Saturdays. And at this point, right, I'm out of school, so I have nothing to do but work. So I say, I'm gonna take this class, which basically was to get my commercial driver's license. So I take the course, I learn so much, I drive all this heavy equipment. Uh, When you graduate, you take a written test, which is the state's CDL, and you take a driving test. And then they rank the graduates and the top ranking graduates are invited to plow snow on call at then Stapleton International Airport. And I was the first woman to ever rank high enough. So for a few years, I plowed snow on call at Stapleton International Airport. That's fantastic. Yeah, it was great. It was so fun. I loved it. I knew some guys who, and they might've gotten in trouble for this, but who worked at City Park Golf Course and they also would uh, work another job when it got frozen at the airport, the icing, whatever, because golf course can't. Anyway, I just know some people who had those jobs, but I watched this on your YouTube, and I think I know the secret of your success because during the downtimes with the snowplow operators, they would gamble and watch sports, <laughs> it's so and true. you'd be reading books and doing productive things. My God, if I didn't watch sports in my life, how much more productive I could have been. I love it. I love it. But it, that's the truth, right? I, you know, well, you know what was, I will say a couple of things about it. As the only woman there who was on call working that night shift, the men were amazing, so welcoming, and they took the time to teach me the art of what they did. Uh, They were true professionals, and I grew hugely in my respect for what it meant to be a professional. didn't have to do with your degree or your title. It had to do with how well you did your job. Holy cow. Looking behind you outside, it's an ice storm. (laughs) Yeah. Everybody's thinking, we need a mayor (laughs) who can plow the streets herself. (laughs) if need be. And you are that candidate, right? Well, I have to get my CDL updated. (laughs) It's like getting on a horse or riding a bike. And you know how to ride a bike. I do know how to ride a bike. You you could probably plow while riding. I mean, do you ride through this now? You must occasionally, never? Uh, Not very often. Sometimes there'll be a little, but not very often. Don't do that. Yeah. I am worried about Denver because I love her. Yeah. I moved just out of Denver when I lost that Denver DA's race. If they didn't want me, well, okay. I can move a little aside, but my heart's still in Denver, and I've worked most of my career there, and I want the best for Denver. I surely do. It's important for the suburbs. It's important for Colorado. It might even be important for the country, and there are challenges here. Let's start with schools. I'm a proud Denver Public School graduate. Ellis, Fallis, Hill, then GW. And I thought it was great, but I'm not sure it's great anymore. And one of the reasons we moved was to make sure we had a great school system for our kids. Because you have kids, people will react. You know what? You can have all the highfalutin ideas. 
about policy, this, that. You want the best for your kids. Am I right about that? Yeah, you're right about that. And frankly, uh, many people can't move, right? Right. And so they need a school system that works. Of course. And that's what we really have to focus on. Is it working right now? It doesn't seem to be. Yeah. Listen, when you look at, whether you look at the data in terms of results, um, particularly if you look at the disparities on race, the achievement gap that we see, uh, we have some of the worst uh, achievement gaps in the nation. And, um, you know, this is where we really need to ensure that we're focused 100% on delivering a top education for our kids, whatever it takes. And and I don't think the, the district right now has the confidence of the parents, the teachers, uh, business leaders that they're doing that. What can a Denver mayor do? What will you do if you're elected? Yeah. So there's been, you know, in Chicago, uh, the mayor took over the school district. Uh, I I would not advocate that that's the approach. And And just to give context why, you know, Denver's 2023 budget, all in, is $3.75 billion, all funds. That includes Denver International Airport and It has over 13,000 city employees, and we have real work to do in Denver, real things we all know we have to improve. I don't think you can tell the next mayor, hey, why don't you take that on? And then we're going to give you the largest school district in the state of Colorado, and why don't you turn that around? So my recommendations are really around how do we turn around given the structure we have today. And uh, the school board will be elected is up for election a minute after the next mayor comes in, in November. And if I am the mayor, I will devote myself to making sure we erect, uh, elect the right slate who can really, as a team, as a governing body, make the decisions we have to make for our school district. Uh, and I, I don't know who that team is yet. I don't know whose names are all coming in to be considered for that opportunity. But I think this is something we have to take seriously. And I think a mayor not only has to endorse, but actually campaign to get the right people in those seats. It goes so far back to the Keys decision involving mm. Denver Public Schools. I was part of that. And when I got to Hill, it was forced busing. I was bused to Hill, but that was my neighborhood school anyway. Got to know a lot of fellas. And then at GW, we were diverse. But since I lived so close to GW, I did not get bused. Probably if I would have been bused, my parents might have reacted to that. Mm-hmm. But it was a great to have a diverse background at, at George Washington. But I'm worried that there's been a steady decline. What about you when you raised your daughters? Did they go to Denver Public Schools? Yeah, I raised my girls mostly on the uh, southwest part of Denver. My girls went to Gust Elementary, uh, which is like federal and Yale. It was a fabulous experience for both of my daughters. Uh, And then my oldest went to School of the Arts, both for middle school and high school. And she got a fabulous education. Oh, yeah. My younger daughter went to Henry Middle School, and then she choiced into Littleton Public Schools to be with all the girls she was playing soccer with on her team, and she graduated from Heritage High School. That's great. Um, you'd agree that schools uh, being more successful is vital to Denver achieving its greatness. <laughs> 100%. A city is only as good as its school district. And then you have to, uh, the first job of government is to provide safety. Yeah. Is Denver as safe as it should be right now? No. What's wrong? Yeah. 
I think we have two. Uh, well, I think we have a few issues, but I think we both uh, we've seen the rise in crime and violent crime. Uh, you know, we're number one in the nation uh, for car theft today. These aren't victimless crimes. I think one is I think we have to revisit and make sure we're getting the policies right. Uh, and I, I think there's an opportunity to rethink some of the policies that we passed, which means working with the state legislature to address those laws that you used to be, uh, you know, prosecuting right. on. Uh, I also think our officers, we have to make sure uh, they feel our support. They're getting our support um, that, you know, that nobody wants to be a police officer today unless they feel like their community is going to be with them and we need them. And I, I, I think throughout Denver, people recognize we need them. Uh, and this notion that the only way to have fair policing is no policing, I think we all have recognized, totally does not work. Um, and I think we're capable of showing our support for our officers while holding ourselves and our officers accountable for our actions. We can do both of those things. I also think we got to send the right resources to the right issue. I think we've learned this the hard way. I think it's been unfair to our officers. We've asked them to handle every crisis we have in our lives when we call 911. I think today, one of the things we're doing better and we could do more of is sending those supports that are really about mental health or addiction issues when that's the issue and free our officers up to be at those critical issues where only they can help us deal with them. Just last week, Paul Pazin was bragging about his STAR program. Yep. And it's one of his good, good accomplishments. And Paul's Denver guy, 28 yeah. years with the Denver Police Force. Do you value his opinion? And I read where his successor, kind of a hand-picked successor, although Michael Hancock got the final call, the current mayor of Denver, Ron Thomas. Are you open to keeping him on? And would there be a role for a Paul Pazin? Yeah, I mean, I haven't made any dis- uh, I have a long way to go, Craig, before I start thinking about hiring. Um, that said, I've met with Chief Pazin. I've met with Chief Thomas. Uh, I worked with Ch- uh, I've worked with multiple chiefs over my career. Uh, but when I was chief of staff, I worked with Chief Whitman. Uh, I've met extensively with him as I draft my public safety policy. Uh, but I've also met with managers of safety like Al LeCabe, who I have deep respect for, and he's helped me draft. What's the the move forward here so we can improve the safety of our city for everybody? And and every single one of them knows it's possible to make our city safer. Allocate. I'll show you the picture upstairs of my son, Benny, shaking hands with your boss, John Hickenlooper, on the day that he appointed Allocate manager of safety, because I worked for many years with Allocate in the Denver DA's office. And when I first walked in there, a lady named Beth McCann was already a district court deputy, and now she's the multi-term Denver DA. Do you know Beth? Yeah. And uh, is it important for you to have a good relationship with the local DA? I think it is really important. You know, um, uh, the, you know, the mayor isn't in charge of everything, and the district attorney has clear authority and decision-making. And I, I would also throw in, you know, the judicial system, right? right. This is where uh, working together is going to be critical to making sure we get this right and make the system work fairly but effectively. That's a big part of your power as mayor. You get to appoint judges, unlike yeah. a lot of mayors, although yeah. they have municipal prosecutors. Denver County Court bench is strong. Part of it is you guys pay well in Denver. And uh, how do you think you will 
fulfill that responsibility? I think similar to how past mayors have thought about it, you know, taking input and insight into really highly, highly qualified people who are interested in those roles. And frankly, that's what you want for every opening, right? When you're trying to decide who gets this job, um, is having to pick among really top talent. And I'll do it the same way. But it's not that new to you. Let's continue your story. How the heck did you become chief of staff to John Hickenlooper? Were you an early adopter of the (laughs) Hickenlooper style? You're going to love this, Craig. Um, So a very good friend of mine was uh, decided to run for mayor at the same time. Sue Casey. She was a soccer mom. Yes, she was a soccer mom. She was a former councilwoman. And um, I quit a perfectly good job to help run her campaign. Uh, I will say this. I learned I'm not good at some things. And running campaigns was one of them. Um, But that's how I actually met John Hickenlooper is I was running a campaign against him. Uh, That was the first time I met him. What year was this? Uh, So he was elected, what, the first time in 2003. So this would have been probably been in the early 2003 in the campaign, February or March. Um, the election was in April then. Um, and he, we lost miserably. Uh, we did not make it to the runoff. And I said, uh, lesson learned. I'm not good at this. <laughs> uh, I better go back and get a job. I've always been the breadwinner for my family. So I was like, I got to find a job. Um, and it happened that Um, The Career Service Authority, which is actually independent from the mayor, was hiring a head of HR. And remember, I had worked in the HR department. I applied and I got that job just as John Hickenlooper was coming in. And that's how I started working with him. I was, uh, you know, part of the opponent's team. But right, career service, for people who don't know, they staffed the Denver DA's office, even though we were a state agency I knew about career service because I'd have to fill out probably some of your forms for my secretarial staff. Yep, yep. And so how many people were in career service? It's a huge union with a bunch of yeah. uh, legal rights. Does it still exist? It does still exist. It's technically not a union, but has huge protections uh, for employees. Uh, then it was probably 8,700. Uh, today, I think it's over 10,000 employees in the career service system. It's a huge, and and ha, you know this is the whole the whole reason it was built is to ensure that political patronage didn't decide who got these jobs, but qualifications decided who got these jobs. So what was where was your office when you were in the web building? In the web building, yeah, right, yeah. But we have a five member board of directors. Um, the Career Service Authority does, and that's who the bosses are. That's who hires and fires the executive director and. I'm thinking, didn't they have an old building, the Career Service Authority, before the web building? Yes. Somewhere around my office. 14th and Tremont, I think. The art museum, I think, owns it now. Something like that. Yeah. Because I never made it to the web building because when I ran against Bill Ritter, I was nice enough to quit his office before I ran against (laughs) him. And and, uh, so I, I was always at 303 West Colfax and before that 924 West Colfax. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. great. I forget all of these things, Craig. It's nice to I talk to someone. I know a little Denver history. <laughs> I do. But uh, you have a good chance to be Denver mayor, and you would be the first female mayor in Denver history? I would, yeah. What does that mean to you? 
I guess, you know, I, I honestly, I'll be honest, I don't think too much about it. I, I have been the first female three times in my life so far. Um, do you want to know when they were? Sure. Uh, the first female on-call on snowplow driver at Stapleton International Airport. I was the first female head of the Career Service Authority. And I was the first female to be president and CEO of the Denver Metro Chamber. And sometimes it's unfair to be the first, right? Because people determine if a woman is capable of doing a job based on your success. And that's kind of unfair, right? <laughs> right. I, I uh, mean, I, I just, when I walked in, Dale Tooley's top assistant was Brooke Wanneke, and she was my mentor. And I, I've had a lot of strong female role models. My sister is a veterinarian, a lot smarter than me. She was valedictorian at GW, and uh, I was a basketball player. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I, I think that uh, it's historic, and our women's rights can't be taken for granted anymore. Yeah. There are There's an element of society that really don't like the fact that women... Uh, are able to do this, that, including control their own body. Does that get you worked up? Yep. You can imagine. Listen, um, you know, I think we still make a lot of assumptions. Like, like I think women are asked questions like, uh, uh, are you strong enough to do this job? You know, you, I, bet, I bet you would never ask a man if he was strong enough, determined enough, if he had the will to make hard decisions. You know, I don't think there's anything different about women. And and I, I don't think people sometimes mean to ask questions that I think are highly inappropriate, but I do think we have to start to more and more highlight, you know, how unfair that is to assume because I'm a woman, I don't have the same backbone as somebody else. Right. Just judge you on your performance, yeah. your abilities. And yeah. there's no heavy lifting involved in being married. And even if there was, I think you're in good shape. You could <laughs> you could do heavy lifting. I, I can do heavy lifting for do you, sure. Do you work out? Of course I do. What kind of workout yeah. regimen? So uh, my preference is riding my bike, uh, where in the summer I probably ride somewhere between 100 and 200 miles a week. Um, I love hiking. Uh, but when the weather's not so great, I get on usually a Peloton indoors and crank it out. What about weights? Anything like that? A little bit. Um, I usually just do weights on my arms, trying hard to reduce what arms look like as they get older. The 30-year-olds will understand in 40 years. <laughs> what about, what do you do to keep your brain sharp? Yeah. Um I suppose you run for mayor. <laughs> That'll do it. <laughs> That'll do it. Uh, I, I love reading, uh, which a lot of people find interesting. What genre? Yeah, so uh, I, I like reading almost anything. I take recommendations. 100% is how I set my book list. But I love fiction. Do you want to know the best fiction book I read this last year? Please. Okay. Uh, it's called The Personal Librarian. And it's a story about J.P. Morgan's personal library, and it's, it's true, it's based on a true story, but it's fictionalized, so the story's filled in. Um, there's a guy, Eric Larson, who does this really well. Um, oh, I love Eric Larson. He's I do been too. a guest on my show uh, for In the Shadow of the Beast, uh -huh. uh, written about Germany. Devil right. in a White City, the Devil Lusitania. Devil in a White City, yeah. about the, uh, the World's Fair killer, right. In, in Chicago, Chicago. Right. yep. And they're fabulous. So I love that. That's how the personal librarian is kind of written like that. 
you get great oh, so insight. So it is an Eric Larson. It's like it's Eric not, Larson. Yeah, it's like it. Okay. And in this book, uh, I'll, do you want the spoiler? No. Okay. You got to read it. It's it's so good. Um, it's really good, and it's very timely for the moment we're do in. Do you read or do you do audio, audio books? I, I much more am likely to read. Uh, my kind of dyslexia is actually auditory in nature, and so I do a better job um, if I listening is much harder for me. I have to read so much for my law practice that I like listening in a book that I recommend about a common person and it's got great reviews the maid about a woman who's made in a fancy hotel and she gets raised by her grandmom and uh it, i'm it, reading it. it it it's good sounds great and it's well written cool well Love read it. too so i have to tell you that i think denver is at an inflection point do you think that's true yeah i think we have a moment here to choose uh, what our future looks like. And I think we have a few other cities who've, who are a little ahead of us who are showing us uh, what those paths could look like. Right, but the inflection point is a little ominous because to me, if we don't make good decisions, then it might cause long-term problems. Am I right? Yeah, uh, or at least way harder to turn around right. the longer we go. I agree with that. I agree with that. And part of the problem, and it's not just Denver, is downtown. Downtowns have to be recreated. What's your vision for a new downtown Denver? Yeah. Well, I think, um, you know, Denver used to be the city that when everybody came, the first thing they said to all of us is what? Wow, your city is so clean. And and clean says something, right? It says, I take pride mm -hmm. in the place I'm at. Right. And so I do think we have to really commit ourselves to say we still need to present in a manner that says we take pride. And you I, will like that book, The Maid. Oh, good. Because it's all about cleanliness. Oh, and sweet. she takes notice of anything that's not clean because that's what she does, and she takes a lot of pride in that. That's wonderful. Um, I also think uh, part of it is activation, right? Um and it's a new day. Uh, best case scenario, we're maybe at 50% of, you know, what we have built retail and restaurants to serve downtown is maybe at 50% of the workforce coming in. And I would argue that is probably Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, which means we have a huge number of supportive kind of services for those workers who aren't going to make it if we don't quickly figure out how we're going to revitalize uh, I looked around the nation, and this is interesting. Manhattan in the 90s was extremely con concerned about kind of its activation. Mm -hmm. Kind of makes me laugh to think Manhattan didn't have enough people in it once. Um, but they did a few things that really changed that and permanently. And one of them was to figure out how to increase residential very quickly. It was a transition of office building to residential. And they took some specific actions that helped do it, uh, tax incentives, looking at the code requirements to make sure we're being smart about what we require for that kind of transition. I think we have to do some of that. I think we have to improve both the feeling and the reality of safety downtown. Right. Um, uh, you know, for me, uh, I think uh, on, on one hand, we have real issues with public safety, but we also have the issue of people who are unhoused today. And downtown has a lot uh, has a lot of the services, so we have way more people who need those services concentrated there. 
And and I think encampments and, you know, today what we do, uh, Craig, is uh, people are camping because they have nowhere to go. Uh, when there's a public safety or a public health issue, we come in and we refer to it often in our community as sweeping, right? We move people right. along. But in essence, we move them along to another neighborhood or another area only to have to come out and do it a few weeks later. I think what we have to say is no camping. We cannot ask people to live that way. We can't have them living in those conditions. Uh, it's both destructive for them, but also for the neighborhoods and where they're trying to live. And so in my first year, what I would do, uh, I think the real goal is shelter and housing and, and everybody gets inside. Um, but it's going to take us a minute to do all of that. So in the short term, I would have sanctioned sites where we could take people so they're safer, uh, where we have running water and toilets and trash receptacles. Uh, so both public health and public safety is improved as much as possible until we as a region can build what we need to house and shelter people. But but no more camping um, and, and moving people around our city. We have to stop both of those. It's a huge issue, and I'm sure you will debate it in this crowded field. With all these candidates and this new fair election law where they match donations, how is it going to work? I'm sure you've tried to game plan it, but what's going on? Kyle Clark says he's uh, is everybody duty bound to be in a debate? I mean, if yes. I call somebody to do my podcast, do they have to do it? Or? No, no, they don't have to talk to you. Um, but they have to do a debate sponsored by. What if I said I want to put on a debate? Yeah, I, don't, I think the city decides. The city will have two. You you have to commit to do two of the city mandated hosted debates. Okay. And uh, I don't think we've been told when those are yet. Who in the city decides? I don't know. I don't know. I can hardly wait. I think, um, uh, so how it works, though, is I think of the 27 candidates still in the race, I believe uh, 26 have signed up for the Fair Elections Fund. Um, because, Including you? Mm -hmm, yes. I'm following the rules. Um, and the well, only one who money. hasn't. Why turn it down, right? Well, and the only person who hasn't signed up is self-funding. And, and I, I don't have that kind of personal wealth. So uh, I got to raise my money. Um, and how it works in the city is if uh, it, anyone in the United States uh, who's a resident in the United States can give you $500, no more. But if a Denver resident uh, gives you money, it's matched. And for every dollar up to $50 a Denver resident gives you, it's matched nine times. So if a Denver resident gives me $50, I get $450 from the fund. If a Denver resident gives me $500, I get $450 from the fund. But it's intended to elevate Denver residents' contribution, and it's intended to elevate smaller contributions um, and, and kind of create an equal impact. Uh, you know, I, I, there's, I think there's an opportunity to improve this policy going forward. Yes, it's an experiment, and you're one yeah. of the lab rats yes, in the yes. experiment. I but am. you're taking it with equanimity, and you could be in the runoff, because that's what the race always comes down to. Who's the runoff? Yes. Dale Tooley beat Bill McNichols. Well, wait, Federico Pena's in the runoff, and sure enough, in fact, I was on the fourth floor of the city and county building, and there was a registration opportunity between 
the first vote and the runoff. Do you know if that exists? Let's go around. Hmm, I don't know. Well, Federico Pena knew these things, and there was such an opportunity. And we saw people lined up around the city and county building. We were looking out the windows, and we said, uh-oh. I don't think those are Thule voters. <laughs> and they turned out not to be. Because the huh. key is to register your yeah. supporters, right? Yeah. Well, and we have made registration in those in-between decades much easier uh, and way right. fewer hurdles for people, good. which I think is very good. Uh, and remember, that ballot's going to be sent to you, so the hurdles continue to be reduced in Colorado. We should be really proud of that. Yes, I am. And uh, I've had some of the architects of that. In fact, uh, why am I blanking? Amber McReynolds? Yeah, Amber yeah. McReynolds, my wonderful guest. She's who amazing. Also had a crush on uh, the Illinois congressman who was on uh, Stephen Colbert, the great guy <laughs> who was Cheney. Who am I thinking of? Cheney? And, uh, I know who you're talking about. Oh, yeah. it, it, it's going to come to me. Doggone it. Why can't I think of him right now? Anyway. Bottom line is Amber McReynolds should be proud. And she came out of Denver. You probably knew her when she was working here, right? Yeah, I had the chance to work with her. So impressive. She was thinking about running for mayor. She was. But she's she was. not. I know. And I bet you are trying to, to gain everybody's support, right? Yes, I am. I don't blame you a darn bit. Let me tell you what you are going to encounter in case you win. And you are busy on the campaign already, but the world is changing around you. Okay, and technology has advanced to the point where I finally got in on chat GBT today. And I said, give me a winning campaign speech for Kelly Bruff. And Adam Kensinger is that guy's name, by the way. Oh, I was thinking, wow, did impressive. you know they went out for a I little bit? I did not. Amber and Adam. And then he went off to war after 9 11. Are you supposed to be talking about this on uh, I don't your think podcast? it's a problem. <laughs> she talked about it. Oh, good. Yeah, okay. she talked about then it. Then it's approved to right. talk about it, Craig. Right. Yeah. But if he ever left his wife, then I think, anyway, Amber can speak for herself. I'm going to get back to artificial intelligence. Yeah. And it's estimated that 47% of all white-collar workers are going to be put out of business. And I thought, what if uh, Kelly Bruff needs uh, a staffer to write speeches for her? And I said, give me a winning uh, mayoral election speech in the style of Kelly Bruff. And it gave me six paragraphs, including oh. citing your record, et cetera. Could you send it my way? <laughs> I'll pull it up for you in a minute. But I said, I said this to uh, artificial intelligence. What attributes are needed to be a great Denver, Colorado mayor? And it spit out. This is, takes like 10 seconds. Okay. So I'm going to put it right to you. Sure. This artificial intelligence asking you this question. I'm just a conduit. To be a great mayor of Denver, Colorado, there are several key attributes that are important to have. Strong leadership. A great mayor must be able to lead by example and inspire others to work together to achieve common goals. They must also be able to make difficult decisions and take responsibility for the actions of the city government. Can you do that? I can do that. Yeah. Vision and strategic thinking. A great mayor must be able to think ahead and plan for the long-term growth and development of the city. They must be able to identify opportunities and challenges and develop a clear vision for the future of Denver. 
I mean, it goes on, and I, I don't want to just repeat it because I don't want to be a robot, but it says passion for public service. Mm. You've got that, don't you? Yeah, I really have a passion for public service, particularly in Denver. Integrity and accountability. It says a great mayor must be a person of integrity who can be trusted to act in the best interests of the city and its residents. They must be transparent and accountable and willing to admit when they are wrong. Is that you? Yeah, I really admire people who can admit when we've made a mistake. I know. Are you reminding that I voted for Trump way back when? That was stupid. I should have trusted Hillary more. <laughs> I mean, part of the reason for my podcast is to oppose Trumpism, which opposes voting rights, women's rights, all of that. Are you a little astonished by what Trumpism has revealed? You were part of the political world. I'm a little yeah. startled. Not even just the political world. I think um, I I think we have to take responsibility as leaders, whether you're in politics, uh, public sector, or private sector, or nonprofit. And that is our job as leadership is to align people, to make progress, to solve problems, to address issues, um, not to divide and diminish and destroy. And I worry that uh, we need more people um, not only saying that, but uh, holding ourselves and each other accountable to that. Boy, that's so true. And it was uh, Mad Dog Mattis who, when he quit Donald Trump, said, this guy's like a Nazi. He's deliberately dividing us. And if I had to define Denver politics, it would be anti-Trump. And I'm proud of that. I'm proud that my native city so rejected that. Here's what I asked AI first before I asked. I said, please give me a speech praising Denver in the style of Obama. And it spit one out. (laughs) Now, you probably pay an aide for about a full day's work to give you that. And then I said, well, I wonder if they could do that for Kelly Brupp. And you're well known enough. It says, my fellow Denverites, today we stand united with a common goal to move our city forward. I stand before you today as a candidate for mayor of Denver with a vision for a stronger, more prosperous, and more equitable city. My name is Kelly Bruff, and I'm honored to have the opportunity to serve as your next mayor. I have spent my entire career working to make Denver a better place for all of its residents. As the president and CEO of the Denver Metro Chamber of Commerce, I have seen firsthand the challenges and opportunities facing our city, and I have a clear plan to address them. First and foremost, we must create good-paying jobs and grow our economy. We must also address our affordable housing crisis by creating more affordable homes and protecting renters. We must also invest in our infrastructure by repairing our roads, bridges, and public transportation system. I will also work to make Denver a city that is welcoming and inclusive to all. We must ensure that every resident has access to quality education, health care, and public safety. We must also work to protect the rights of immigrants and refugees and ensure that everyone is treated with dignity and respect. I am committed to transparency, accountability, and ethical governance. I will work tirelessly to serve the people of Denver, and I will always put the needs of our community first. My fellow Denverites, together we can build a better future for our city. Let's work together to move Denver forward, and let's elect Kelly Brough as our next man. And then I put it in for a few of your opponents who are 
and and there are nuanced differences because huh. like yeah, the emphasis on work for you and yeah. I'm just saying there's a brave new world because you might have been paying somebody to give you a speech, you know, and I, I you can do things like uh, uh, what would Bob Marley say about Denver and it'll spit out a speech for you. This is, uh, are you ready? I mean, this is going to increase exponentially. You're a smart person. You have an MBA. Do you see the consequences of all this? Or Yeah, ready or not. It's coming. And you're you're rough and ready. Remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Listen, I think um I, I also think there is an appreciation um with all the value add that this offers, right? Yes. There is also an appreciation when I text people today and say, Hi, this is Kelly. I'm hoping you might support my campaign. Here's a little information about me. And somebody'll reply back on their text and say, Stop. And and I'll reply and say, I'm so sorry. And do you know what they say next? Oh my gosh, it's really right. you. So so, so people like the idea, right? We have gotten used to this assumption, or I'll call someone and I'll say, hi, this is Kelly Bruff. I'm calling to see if I could earn your support. Right. And they'll interrupt me and say, is this a robocall? Yes. And then when I say no, they say, oh my gosh, is this really? I, I tell you this, Craig, because I do think there's something to be said for also recognizing we're still humans we like that interaction and frankly we need it and democracy demands it it demands that you have access to who your mayor is that i hear you that i see you not my bots not right i i i, I love the message is nice but that message also comes from because i put information out i wrote it down and so this AI was able to search all of those places and pull it together. But it it stopped at 2021. And I understand ah. you put out an action plan. So it, it just might be interesting yes, I if think you would have consulted it before you put it together. And at a certain point, will it be irresponsible for you to not do that? And what I yeah. love about your background in career service and being responsible for so many workers this is a big upheaval. Yeah. And and somebody's got to manage it and realize that there are human beings involved, but where do you draw the line between uh, protecting the dignity of humans but getting stuff done in a more efficient way? It's a brave new world. Yeah. And taking advantage of the technology we have, but recognizing, and, and I think it is a call, right? When do I need a human and when can I use technology? And, and the answer is probably we're going to need both for a very long time. It's really figuring out when you need one versus the other or what's the right solution. And, and listen, the city is already doing some of this. You can go online and pay bills today. Mm -hmm. And, you know, using technology for efficiency allows us to, even 311, allows us to free up the team to do the harder, more complex work that requires judgment. And so... All right. I'm ready. And speaking of that, it's not working well in Denver right now. My buddy, my sidekick, our troubadour Dave Gunders, he's got a renovation business. He doesn't like working in Denver because the permitting process, it's ridiculous. And I bet you hear that all the time. Paul Payson said on his street in Denver, he's not sure if the trash is really going to get picked up on the day certain that is promised. 
Denver seems to be falling short. 911 calls, poor response. Can this be fixed? Let's start with the permitting. How much money is Denver leaving on the table? Yeah. Yeah, this is a huge issue. And people think of it as the developer. <clears throat> but it's a huge issue when you're trying to build a affordable housing product as well, because it's adding millions of dollars to that project. Uh, so it's affecting every single one of us. <clears throat> I, I know it's solvable. I know it is for a few reasons. Um, when I was in the Hickenlooper administration, I think we were about half the times we were at we're at today. So I'm confident we could get back there. But I also think we can't just say to employees, keep doing it the same way with the huge backlogs and, and expect that anybody could get ahead. I think it has to be so daunting. So I think first we got to come up with a plan. What I would do is bring in outside contractors to get through that backlog. Let's let's get through it because I think it's so overwhelming for employees today. I can't imagine that there's any hope that you could find your way through it. Then I think we have to really ask the question, how should we be structuring this thing? And you know what money we're really leaving on the table by failing to do this? That Proposition 123 that was just approved statewide <clears throat> gives uh, money for affordable housing throughout the state. It's the first time we've had funding in the state uh, for uh, housing that's affordable. Denver today does not qualify for a single dollar of that because we're so slow. That uh, initiative requires 90 days or less. We got to make it. Sure. And I will figure out how we make it because we're bringing that money home. You are a get things done kind of person. Am I right? Yes, sir. And uh, I appreciate your time. You've been fantastic. One of the other things that I think led to John Hickenlooper's success, not just as a mayor, a businessman before that, he, I, I'm thinking about that picture of him throwing the baseball with Bill Owens mm -hmm. at the start of the Rockies season. Maybe that was a different time, but I sure would like to see somebody who could bring people together, work with all sorts of people. The Denver mayor's race is supposed to be nonpartisan. I like that. Political parties could be the ruination of all of us. Um, tell us how you're going to win this election and uh, uh, give us your closing kick, if you would. Yeah, thanks, Craig. Uh, I'm going to win because... Um, I am spending every single minute, and my priority for every dollar I raise is to make sure voters know who I am uh, authentically, that they either get to meet me or they get to see uh, how I've lived my life, the choices I make, uh, how I handle stress and conflict, um, and and frankly, my love for this city. And I, I would say this to you, I think we deserve leadership that is willing to be vulnerable, that is willing to say when they've made a mistake, uh, that is willing to acknowledge the challenge that somebody else may be facing or the view that might be different that somebody else brings and shape a path forward that honors these vastly different ways of seeing the world. I've done it uh, in multiple roles throughout my life, whether it's on immigration reform or protecting the civil rights of people in our society. Um, I'm committed to it, and I know I can do it again in Denver. And I know Denverites want it and deserve it. I can't thank you enough for your accessibility. I can see that you're strong, committed, and formidable. I think you've got a great chance to be mayor of Denver. And 
Uh, we're going to be along for the ride. I intend to have other major candidates on, but uh, you are going to be formidable, and I wish you nothing but good luck because as Denver succeeds, we all succeed, right? Here, here. Thank you for having me. This has been wonderful. And what about my dogs? Did they bother you at all? I, well, they love me, and I love them. No, they didn't bother me at all. Of course not. Wonderful. A dog person. You got to love that. Kelly Brupp, thank you. Thank you. Now, during the pandemic and otherwise, a lot of people have so much affection for their pets. That must come up all the time. What's going to happen to Scruffy? What can you tell us about that, Michael Bailey? What you can do is create a pet trust in Colorado. You put money into trust, and then that money is available and earmarked to care for the dog. And it can last the lifetime of the dog or 21 years, whichever is shorter. And then when the time frame for the trust is up, you can dictate who gets whatever leftover money or I have several clients who will leave it to some sort of animal shelter or animal rescue to be able to care for other animals. How cool is that? You can go to Mike Bailey's office and he has offices all over and you could meet at your home, whatever. I love the way you practice law. You've kept it going for a long time. Tell everybody how they can make you their lawyer. So my phone number is 720-394-6887. And again, that's 720-394-6887. They can call me or they can go online to mobileestateplanning.com. And there's a link there where you can schedule an appointment with me. Okay, here's the thing. You've been hurt. Maybe, God forbid, someone's been killed. You don't know what to do. If it happened in Colorado, please get a hold of me. Check out my website, craigscoloradolaw.com. craigscoloradolaw.com because I have four decades of experience. Sadly, I've helped a lot of people who have been hurt terribly through no fault of their own. 303-734-7156. Please call Craig, Craig Silverman, a voice for victims, 303-734-7156. Hey, I told you this show was going to be great. Please tell your friends, subscribe. We appreciate you listening. Keep listening. And until next Saturday, have a great week. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Tune in live every Saturday morning, 9 to noon, Mountain Time. Visit thecraigsilvermanshow.com for the podcast, blog, and more. Be sure to subscribe on all major podcasting platforms to be updated when new episodes are available. This has been The Craig Silverman Show.